Now, obviously, as we work on our way through parts of Genesis, some of the accounts that we're reading here are pretty long. And so we're, we're not going to read all of it. I would encourage you to read through the whole passage a little bit later and be reminded of some of the truths that we draw out of it. But we're going to read portions of it this morning. And then I'm going to kind of summarize parts of it as we learn from God's Word today. We're going to start reading in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now let's skip down to verse 22. The same night he rose and took his two wives and two female servants and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. I remember one time when I was a child and we went on a a trip with some friends. We went out to a cabin out in the woods. I was quite young, so I don't know exactly where this cabin in the woods was. I just remember that I was having a great time. And uh, the friends of ours, we were staying at this cabin, and we spent uh, most of our day, I think, outside, I'm sure, running around in the woods and playing. And at, at one point, their child, who was my friend, his name was Jeff, and at one point, Jeff turned and he, he threw a rock at their car. And he said, hey, let's do this. And he started throwing rocks at their car. And I was unconvinced that that was a good idea. And so I was like, ah. And he's like, it's okay. My parents love me. And he keeps throwing rocks at the car. And I thought, well, it does look like fun. So I said, your parents let you do that? Yeah. So I joined in. Now I know that's stupid. Like I said, I was very young. Very young. Uh, It should have continued to ring a bell that nobody lets their kids throw rocks at their car. But... Uh, we, the two of us, began throwing rocks at this car, and uh, the noise alerted the adults that were inside the cabin, and they came out, and we were in a lot of trouble. And the, there's two things that stand out in my mind that day. The first one is the shock that, this, that his parents would let him throw rocks at the car, which turned out to be false. And the second one was the embarrassment that I experienced afterwards, because my mom and dad made me go face Bill, that was his dad, and his, and his mom, and apologize for throwing rocks at their car. And I was humiliated. 
I didn't want to face up to it. I didn't want to go and apologize, but they made me go and apologize. I had to, what what were they making me do? They're making me own up to the things that I'd done wrong. And it was a good lesson for me. Obviously, still sticks with me today, and I don't even have a clue how old I was. Uh, other than, well, I know I was young. I'm just going to leave it at that. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But, <laughs> but, and that's what we do as parents, right? We, we make our children do some things that they don't want to do that are uncomfortable because they have to be taught. We make them apologize when they do wrong because they have to be taught to be responsible for their actions. That's not, they're going to come on to it on their own. They need to be held accountable for their actions. So they need to, to own up when they have done something wrong and they need to fix the mistakes that they've made. I remember one time when one of my sons stole uh, some gum from the neighborhood kid down the road and I found out about it and I took my son down to the drugstore. I think he stole one piece of gum. He bought a whole pack to replace it with. I said, you're always going to replace it with way more than what you took if you're going to do this. And I took him down the street and he didn't want to go either. But he had to go down and he had to apologize and he had to replace the gum that he had taken and more. Why? Because that's what we do as Parents, we, we make our children own up for the things that they've done. Well, when I look at Jacob in his life, at this, in this point in his life, he's kind of at that point, he's owning up. He's getting things square. Now, I'm not going to say that it was his desire to make everything square, but God leads him through a process where he makes everything square. And, he, and Jacob is found in a kind of between a rock and a hard place and a couple different relationships within his life. And some of it has been his own doing that he's caused these hardships. And some of it is because he's dealing with other people that are hard to live with. In either case, God brings Jacob into this place where he has to own up to some things in his life. Now, let's summarize where we're at. Remember, Jacob was married to two sisters. And uh, all because Laban had tricked him. And he ends up married to two sisters, for which he works for Laban for 14 years. Now, at the end of the 14 years, Jacob takes his two wives and his children that he's had at that point, and he's going to leave. He's going to, to move on and go start to prosper his family. The animals that he's tending and rearing, they're Laban's animals. They're not Jacob's. So Jacob really doesn't have, he has a large family, but he doesn't have any lasting possession. And so Jacob recognizes, now I've, I've worked off my time with my father-in-law for my wives. Now it's time for me to go build a fortune for my family or an income for my family. But Laban recognizes that he has prospered because of Jacob. Remember, that's the promise. That's the covenant. Remember what that promise entailed? Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Jacob is blessed by God and that is overflowing to Laban. And Laban is benefiting because of the blessing upon Jacob. And he recognizes and he says, what will it take to keep you? Name your price. And Jacob says, well, I'll tell you what. Every animal that you have that is solid color, you keep. Every animal that you have that's striped or speckled or spotted, I get. And Laban says, okay. But then what he does is he tells his sons, hurry up and go take out all the animals that are speckled, spotted, and striped and travel three days away and keep them over there. Remember Jacob. Jacob is kind of the deceiver. He's the one that tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright, and he tricked him out of his Isaac out of his Esau's blessing. So Jacob is familiar with tricking people. While Laban has got one up on him, Laban tells his other sons, "All right, go get all those other animals and get them out of here." But God is with Jacob. Now Jacob does some weird things. I don't know if they would be effective or not, but he he puts like streaked branches and stuff in front of the animals while they eat or mate. I don't, I don't know that that would really affect anything. I tried to look it up and see if it would affect anything. I couldn't find much. But the Bible says this, that God blessed Jacob. And so 
the animals that were being born, the stronger ones, were the streaked, the spotted, the speckled. And so Jacob's herd is growing. Over the next six years, the Bible says that Laban would change Jacob's wages ten times. So ten different times, Laban is going to come back and say, okay, no more, now I get this the streaked and the spotted and the speckled. Now you get the solid ones. And then the birthing goes the other way, and then Laban changes it again. So he's going to do that back and forth with Jacob ten times over the next six years. Well, finally, Jacob's noticing that the attitudes are not good anymore, that he's not highly favored with Laban, that Laban's sons are starting to complain because Jacob's herds are growing so much and Laban's so little. God communicates with Jacob, and he says it's time for you to leave. Now remember, this fulfills a promise. God told Jacob back when he first left home, when he first left because of fear of Esau, I'm going to prosper you and I'm going to bring you back. And Jacob makes this profession. He says, God, if you're going to bless me like that, if you're going to watch over me while I go and keep me safe and you're going to bring me back safely and prosper me, he said, you are my God. And so Jacob makes his commitment to God at that point. And then now what's happened is it's been 20 years And God comes to Jacob again, and God says, all right, it's time to go back home. Now, Jacob's got two problems. One's name is Laban, and the other one's name is Esau. Because Laban is not going to take kindly to this. Jacob knows that if Laban knows that I'm leaving, uh, I'm not going to be able to leave with what I have. I'm not going to leave with my possessions. I'm not going to leave with probably my wife and kids, wives and kids. And so he's worried about that. So he decides to skirt out of town without Laban knowing. And then the other problem is Esau. I've got to go back to the guy that was determined to kill me. Esau was the reason that I left. He's the one that wants to get rid of me, so he's got to go back to Esau, and he's going to confront both of those problems. And that's what we're going to consider today as Jacob is owning up. As he's owning up, he's going to own up before Laban and Esau. But you know what? First of all, he's actually owning up before God. And that's what we want to look at, those three different aspects. The first one in owning up before God. As we look through this passage, I want to show you several different places where Jacob has gotten very God-centered in his thinking. Remember, his name means deceiver, and he's been a pretty slippery bugger up to this point. But in the last six years, at least, it looks like maybe there's been some change in his life. And I think maybe even from the time that he made that statement about his faithfulness to God. Now, remember back in the last passage that we had studied that God had made him that promise that he'd bring him back. As we look in chapter 31, verse 7, he's talking to his wives and he's telling his wives it's time for us to go and he wants their input. He wants to know what they think. And he describes his relationship with her father. And he says, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. So he's looking at God as being the source of his protection. But then down in verse 9 of the same chapter, it says, Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Then down in verse 13, it says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So Jacob was looking to God for direction. So we see Jacob relying on God for direction in his life at this point. We see him relying on God for protection in his life at this point. And we see him relying on God for provision of his life in this point. You see, he's saying the things that I have that have been provided for me, God has given me those things. The things that I've needed to be protected from, God has protected me from those things. And the direction that I need to go, God is supplying the direction that I need to go as well. And you know what? We need to do the same thing. 
In our lives, it's not just about doing your best, making your way through this world as best you can. We need to be dependent on on God. We need to be relying on God, that God would provide for us in his direction, that he would steer us in the way that he would have us to go. Look to him for guidance and counsel as we study his word and learn his principles. We also need to rely on him for protection. You know, I remember when I was a little kid, my mom would tuck me into bed every night and we would say the Lord's Prayer. And I remember one time I got thinking, you know what, my parents go to sleep at night too. Not the same time as I do, but a little bit later. What if when they're asleep, something happens? Right? Because when you're a little kid, you look to your parents for protection. In fact, you look to the parents for all of these three things. And I remember as a little kid thinking, but but what about when they're asleep? They can't really protect me when they're asleep. What, what happens if the house light's on fire or something like that? And I remember worrying about it and talking to my mom one night. And you know what she did? She did a very wise thing. She said, well, God never sleeps. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God to watch over us. God can protect us. God can take care of us. And it opened up a whole new world of protection to me. Where I realized, you know what? Protection isn't just about the size of my dad, the kindness of my mom. Protection's about... My Heavenly Father, the God that made me, the God that loved me enough to offer His Son as a sacrifice to pay for my sins, the God that loves me that much. Now, I didn't know all this at that age, but, but this is the world that it opened up. I knew that God was the Creator. I knew that God made this place and that He was the most powerful. And, and so then a whole new world of protection. You know, we need to be relying upon God for our protection, trusting Him to watch over us. Uh, also for our provision, for the things that we need to live in, within this world. It's God, ultimately, that gives us the ability to, to, to work and to increase and to, to prosper in that way. And we need to be looking to Him and recognizing that He is the provider of those things. Now, as we do this, we see several different factors in, within Jacob's life. First of all, we see that he's trusting in God's sovereign grace. And that's because of the things that we already mentioned. We mentioned that he's trusting God to provide these three different areas. And so he's relying upon God to continue to take care of him. In fact, when he prays in the passage that we read, notice what he says. He says, God, now you, you promised, you told me that as I left my home and came here, that you'd be watching over and protecting me and prospering me. And you told me that you'd bring me back safely later. And so you told me you'd do all these good things in my life. And so he's banking on that sovereign grace that God is in control and has Jacob's good in mind. And so he's relying upon that. Now, as he does that, we see that this fleshed out in a couple ways within his life. First of all, he operated in prayer because he gets before God and he reminds him of these things. He prays before God and says, Lord, I'm about to head back to Esau. And you know that you told me that... My children, my descendants are going to be like the sand on the seashore. Well, they're about to bump into my brother Esau, who by all accounts might be waiting to destroy my whole family. But not only does he pray, he also operates according to a principle. In other words, he, he acts. He does some things. And, you know, that's, uh, I think, sometimes a misconception. That sometimes we think, well, maybe if we can pray, ask God to do something, then I don't have to do anything. That's far from the truth. Now, we definitely need to be praying. We definitely need to be asking God to step on our behalf. But you know what? Every struggle that we go through also has lessons in it that we are supposed to learn. And it also has a character strengthening that as we go through it, God builds us up in our strength and our character. The Bible tells us that in the book of James and other places. 
that the trials that we face, the struggles that we go through, that they're there to strengthen us, to build us up, so that we get become more enduring people, a stronger people. Well, as we look at Jacob in these problems that he's in, he prays to God, but then he also takes some steps. He's trying to exercise some wisdom that what if my brother Esau is on the warpath? Because you know what happens? He sends some people to Esau saying, your brother Jacob, your servant Jacob, is coming before you to visit. Those servants that he sent come back. and He says, Esau is coming to meet you, and he's got 400 people with him. And so what's he doing? He starts using some wisdom and trying to, well, what if Esau does attack? So he's going to put people and animals in groups. The very first group is the gift. And he gives Esau like 580 animals as a gift. So he says, and when Esau gets there, when he asks, what are all these animals about? Say, and whose are they? Say, they're Jacob's, your servant Jacob's. And it's a, it's a gift as he's coming to visit you. Hopefully that will pacify Esau. Well, since Jacob left, stealing his birthright and his, tricking him out of his blessing, it's probably not a bad idea to try to warm him up a little bit, to try to maybe make a little bit of recompense for the hurt that he's caused. Now, he was going to be the person of blessing, told all the way from his birth, but God didn't need his help. And then he takes his family and he begins to divide them up. He divides them up into a couple different camps. That's why he said, when I came across here, I only had my staff, but now I'm two camps full of people. Because he takes and divides his family up and says, you go kind of this way, and this group's going to go kind of this way. That way, if Esau attacks one of the groups, hopefully half of my family can get away safe. And so he's making some decisions to try to handle things. And you know what? That's why it is in our life as well. When we face obstacles, when we face challenges, we need, we need to pray and ask God to intervene in our situation. But you know what? We also need to operate according to principle. We need to follow through on the things that, that God would have us to do. In other words, you don't sit back and say, God, please provide my daily bread without going out and working a job. In fact, the New Testament even says, if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. God wants us to be responsible in handling our responsibilities. We don't pray for things to come in to pay our bills and not try to meet those needs ourselves. We're called to operate through prayer and principle. In other words, we're supposed to be wise stewards and we're supposed to be engaged in the processes that God has us in, engaged in the problems, engaged in the conflicts. Well, That's owning up to God. Owning up to God, we need to trust His grace in our life, that He has our best in mind. We need to operate through prayer. We need to operate through principle, as Jacob did in these passages. Also, what about owning up to our people? You see, Jacob's got some people in his life that are hard to deal with. He's got Esau, which is going to be hard to deal with because Jacob hasn't treated him well. And he's got Laban that's hard to deal with just because he's Laban. And you know what I dare say? In our lives, we probably have similar. We probably have people in our lives that we maybe didn't do the best by at times and we end up with the struggles in our relationship from time to time because we blow it. In fact, often the people that we care about the most are the people that we'll be the harshest with when we, when we lose our cool. And you know what? At times like that, we need to own up and we need to be ready to apologize and we need to be ready to fix damages in relationships. And then... We've got other people in our lives that we just lock horns with once in a while just because, well, that's how they are. And they're tough to deal with. God puts those kind of people in all of our lives. There's always somebody that's maybe a struggle to get along with for you. Well, we need to do good by them too. We need to handle our part. Maybe we're the same way for them. <laughs> you know, Maybe we look at it through their eyes. We're the one that's hard to get along with. 
But at any rate, we got to do those same things. You know, I remember early in my Christian life, when I came to Christ when I was 20 years old. And shortly after coming to Christ, I went to a thing called Basic Youth Institute. It was a kind of a convention that happened down at the Seattle Center. And there was a guy named Bill Gothard that had this ministry called Basic Youth Institute. And Lisa and I went to that. And so each evening, we'd go down into Seattle to the Seattle Center Arena and listen to this guy. And you know what he focused on? He focused on our relationships. And he focused on making sure that people that we had treated wrongly, that we went and fixed those relationships. And the authorities that God put in our life, that we had the right attitudes and we were subject to the authorities that God put over us in our life. Because if we're subject to those authority, we're ultimately being subject to the authority of God because He's the one that put it. So he talked a lot about kids being subject to your parents' authority. He talked about employees being subject to your employer's authority. Citizens being subject to the government authorities and having the right attitudes and actions. And I remember at that time thinking about relationships that I had with different people. And there was a few different relationships that were strained in my life that I just kind of ignored. I just didn't really have much to do with those people. I had maybe not been the best toward them or not treated them the best or or maybe them, not me, the best. And we had locked horns or something. Then I just kind of avoided those people. And I realized that, you know what? God wants to do more than just save my soul. He wants to make me a better person. And part of becoming a better person is to be relating better to people. The easy ones and the difficult ones. I asked God to reveal them to me and I found within my relationships, I found just a small handful, three or four people, that the relationship wasn't what it could have been. And you know what? With some of those situations, there was a back and forth. There was wrong on both sides. But I didn't need to worry about the wrong that was done on their side. I only needed about the wrong, worry about the wrong that was done on my side. I made a phone call to each of those people. And I said, you know what? In the past, I've had this kind of attitude toward you or I responded to you in this way. And I didn't worry about whether or not they went and apologized for their side. I just didn't care about that. Whatever the situation was, I just said, you know what? I just want you to know that God has brought that to my attention and I want to apologize. I just want to make it right. And with some of them, they shared stories of similar things that they'd gone through in their life and they patched it up. And some of them did apologize for their part and some of them didn't. But you know what? All the relationships were back on the place where they needed to be. And that's what we're seeing with Jacob. I'm not even saying Jacob was the one stepping out to do it, but God leads Jacob through a process where Jacob ends up, in the end, everything's okay with Laban. They make a covenant and they make a place. They look, neither of us will pass this monument to do each other harm. We'll, We'll call it a truce, we'll call it good, and we'll move on from here. Jacob goes to Esau and he tries to humble himself before Esau. And, and Esau wouldn't even have any, anything to do with that. He just falls on his brother and kisses him and is glad to have him back. And so things work out well with Esau as well. We need to take care of our relationships. Matthew chapter 5. And this connects uh, the idea of owning up with our people with owning up with God. Because that's exactly what happens. When we own up with God, we own up with other people. God sees our relationships with others as very important. You realize that if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are commandments in how we relate to God. Don't make any graven images and worship no other God but me. Don't use God's name in vain. They're all commandments about our relationship with God. You realize that the last six part of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with other people. Don't kill them. Don't steal from them. Don't envy their stuff. Honor your mother and father. Don't lie. They're all relational with the people around us. You see, our relationship with one another affects our relationship with God. 
And it's the same in the New Testament. He, Jesus was asked one time, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that's the only one they asked him for, but he wouldn't stop there. He said, the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, our relationship with people is directly related to our relationship with God. And if we're right in our relationship with God, we're going to be striving towards our relationship with people. That's why Jesus told him in Matthew chapter 5, he was talking about anger and how much deeper. It's not just about it's not just about not killing people. It's about loving people. It's not about not being angry with people. And Jesus says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar. So here's somebody that's coming to worship God. They've got a gift that they're offering at the altar. And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see what God does at that point? Jesus said, look, if you're coming in to worship, that's your vertical relationship with God. You're coming in to experience your relationship with God and you realize that your brother has something against you. A horizontal relationship is out of whack. God says, you go take care of that first. Then you come back and pray. Then you come back and offer your gift. You see, our relationships with one another directly impact our relationship with God. Do you know how many times that's helped my marriage? When I've gone to go before God and say, God, I just don't understand her. There's probably more times that she's done it about me. And God says, and I can hear it loud and clear, not, not like a voice, but from right the passage I just read you. God says, what are you doing here talking to me? You get back there and you talk to her. Bang. <laughs> and I do. Because what are you going to do? Leave your relationship God with God and run amok? No. So I go back to her and I talk. Not, not something us guys like to do a lot in that situation because we're not good at it. We seldom win. We talk. And you know what? Things get fixed. And then I go back to God. And instead of coming to God saying, God, I just really don't understand what's going on here. I'm coming back to God and I'm saying, God, thank you. Thank you so much for what you just gave me. We come to God and sometimes I think we're coming to God and he's on, it's on deaf ears. Is God saying, wait a minute, you know about this relationship here. You know about this problem with your people here. Go fix that. Then come back and talk to me. All right, now, owning up to our past. We see that done with Jacob also because what happens in the passage that we read there, Jacob gets in this wrestling match with God. God wrestles with him all through the night. God finally hurts him to get him to let him go, and he still won't let him to go. He's clinging to him. He's finally realized this is God that I'm wrestling with, and so now he's really not going to let him go because he wants to be blessed. And that's what we've seen in Jacob. For all of his downfalls, here's a guy that wants the blessing of God and will do just about anything to have it. Well, as we look at what happens there, God says to Jacob, he says, what's your name? Now, if you've been following very closely through the last several chapters of Genesis, we've noticed that names have meaning in the Old Testament. Remember them naming their kids? Remember uh, Rachel naming her kid Naphtali because of her wrestling match with her sister? And all of Jacob's kids were named after whatever was going on at that point in time. Names bore meaning. When Esau found out that Jacob had stolen his blessing, Esau, what was his response? Is he not rightly called Jacob? Because Jacob means deceiver. And God asked him, he says, what's your name? And Jacob had to say Jacob. Now when you think about it, what does that represent in his life? It represents swindling his brother out of his birthright, swindling his brother out of his blessing. He's been deceiving people all the way along. And God's calling him to own up for it. But the awesome thing is that as Jacob has to make peace with his past, as he has to own his past and then reach out to his brother Esau, here's the exciting part. What does God do? He gives him a new name. You see, it's redemption. 
He gives him a new name. Now you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. You're going to be called Israel. The word Israel means God fights. And it's because he stayed up all night to wrestle with God all night long. And he says, now you're going to be called God fights. And this is going to be the nation, the name that is given to Jacob that's going to go to the nation of Israel that is God's chosen people. It's going to be the nation through whom God will bless the world. But he changes his name. You're no longer the deceiver. Now you're God fights. And that is going to imply two things. One, it's going to commemorate that he would wrestle with God all night long for his blessing. But two, Israel's going to have that is that God fights for Israel. As we own up to our past, You know what God does? He gives us a new future. We get redeemed. As we bring those things into the light of the cross and we come before God and say, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I've blown it, that I haven't fulfilled my obligations, that I haven't done everything right. God says, okay, that's your past. Now let me give you a future. You see, Jesus Christ died on that cross for us to take our sins upon His shoulders, to bear our burdens upon Himself so that we can have a new future so that we can have he bear, he bears the cross for us so that we can experience the resurrection 